a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Sources. Inside Sources, Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM at 1160 AM. Welcome, everyone, to Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you today, and uh, lots to talk about uh, wall-to-wall today over the next 60 minutes here on Inside Sources. If you're just tuning in, uh, as always, we have a, a different conversation with uh, Dave and Janovic from 9 to 11. Uh, then I'll come in, slot in here with Inside Sources from 11 to noon, and then we'll have news. And then, of course, we have our new lineup. Lee Lonsberry will be taking the 1230 to 3 slot. And then, as always, Jeff Kaplan will get you home uh, in the afternoon. So stay wall-to-wall here on KSL News Radio. Uh, we're in the middle of the impe- impeachment inquiry hearings, uh, the first public hearings kicking off today. They started at 8 o'clock this morning local time. And we're going to take a little bit of a time to break it down, and then we're going to shift gears because this is going to be a long process. Uh, but I do want to get a few things set for you as it relates to how to consume and how to endure what's going to happen over the next several weeks as these proceedings and these public hearings continue to roll out. Uh, there's going to be a lot of fake fights. There'll be countless false choices presented and we need to know how to navigate those and what it really means. What does it mean to us here in the state of Utah? What does it mean in our local neighborhoods and communities? And what should we do about it? How should we actually consume that? So we're going to break that down uh, during the next hour. We're also going to be joined uh, today by the Lieutenant Governor, Spencer Cox. Uh, weigh in with him on this uh, International Kindness Day. Uh, he's off doing some some great projects there. So we'll have him join us towards the end of the hour, about 1148. He's going to uh, hop on with us as he drives to another uh, service project. So Spencer Cox joining us today. Uh, we're also going to talk about a really important subject at the bottom of the hour, uh, we're going to talk about a, a new book called Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. <laughs> so we're going to talk about what does it mean to lead? What does it mean to uh, to be a boss? And uh, so that'll be a fun conversation with our friends over at the Franklin Covey uh, Institute there that they'll uh, get a chance to weigh in. So we'll highlight that as we go through the day today. As always, I want to know what's on your mind. You can do that on the Utah Community Credit Union text line 57500. Again, 57500. You can always weigh in on the Utah Community Credit Union text line. And if you miss an episode, make sure you get it on the uh, KSL Radio app. Uh, you can always pick up the podcast there or on KSL.com uh, to not miss a single thing. And I, I want to give you a little heads up for tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow on the show uh, will be my interview with uh, presidential historian Doris Kearns Goodwin, who was in town last week uh, for the Sutherland Institute Gala. I uh, had a, a great opportunity, exclusive interview with Doris Kearns Goodwin here in the state of Utah. And we talked about leadership in turbulent times, uh, which 
is very appropriate for where, for where we are as a country, and uh, you don't want to miss that tomorrow. Uh, fabulous insight. A lot of wow moments for me listening to her talk about the lessons of history, talk about where we are. Uh, so that will be most of the hour tomorrow, starting at 11 a.m., We'll be talking uh, and sharing my interview with Doris Kearns Goodwin. So make sure you uh, set your clock, make sure you're in your car or got your uh, radio or the KSL radio app up and ready to go uh, so you can participate in that with us. Uh, really a fabulous conversation. Lots of great lessons for today. All right. Uh, so let's let's talk impeachment for a minute. Let me give you a little update in terms of where we are. As I mentioned earlier, the proceedings kicked off at about eight o'clock Utah time. This morning, 10 o'clock Eastern time, and you had Adam Schiff, the uh, chair of the committee, a Democrat, uh, really laid out his case right off the bat, uh, made his opening statements and marched through why this was such a problem, uh, why there was bribery involved, why this was uh, really an impeachable series of offenses. Uh, by President Trump and his administration as it relates to Ukraine. And he was really trying to frame the debate, which is is his job. He said, this is what we're going to do. Here's the case. And now we're going to start calling witnesses to move that through. Representative Nunes from California, the ranking Republican on that committee, then had his opportunity, and, and he really framed it uh, very differently, as you might suspect. Uh, in fact, let's jump to a little bit of sound uh, from Representative Nunes, uh, just to give you a little compare and contrast in terms of what these two leaders of the different political parties were trying to do in terms of framing the debate, framing the conversation, uh, which is what these public hearings are all about just to be clear before we run uh, Mr. Nunez here, uh, so everyone knows what's going on. This is not about more facts coming forward. This is not about unearthing some you know bombshell moment. This is all about framing public opinion. Uh, the, de- the depositions have already taken place. The key facts are already in. Uh, and so this is both sides trying to frame their argument to the American people. So uh, let's start with Representative Nunez. By undermining the president who they are supposed to be serving, the elements of the FBI, the Department of Justice, and now the State Department, have lost the confidence of millions of Americans who believe that their vote should count for something. It will take years, if not decades, to restore faith in these institutions. This spectacle is doing great damage to our country. It's nothing more than an impeachment process in search of a crime. All right. There's your first quotable quote uh, coming from the Republican side. Representative Nunez, uh, this is, is an impeachment uh, in search of a crime uh, and really trying to lay out the case uh, as was the strategy. Really interesting. This was really the strategy of the Clinton administration uh, back in the late 90s. Their strategy was to attack the attackers and uh, or attack those that were laying out the case. And that's where you had Hillary Clinton famously saying that this was all part of the vast right wing conspiracy. That's where that whole line of of discussion began. Uh, And so it's all about trying to frame it and shape it. Uh, And so that's uh, clearly the the tactic from the Republicans is going to be, hey, this process is flawed. These are people who have been out to get President Trump from the beginning. Uh, And so that's what they're going to do. And so that's what they're trying to to lay out the case. The Democrats, on the other hand, are trying to be very methodical in terms of the good of the nation versus the good of the individual. Uh, Let's go to Adam Schiff's opening comment uh, as the impeachment trial began earlier today. 
There are few actions as consequential as the impeachment of a president. While the founders did not intend that impeachment be employed for mere differences over policy, they also made impeachment a constitutional process that the Congress must utilize as necessary. If the president can simply refuse all oversight, particularly in the context of an impeachment proceeding, the balance of power between our two branches of government will be irrevocably altered. That is not what the founders intended. And the prospects for further corruption and abuse of power in this administration or any other will be exponentially increased. Okay, so the grave warnings coming there from the Democratic side of the aisle. Uh, Again, they're both trying to frame how people are going to interpret what is laid out. Uh, following the opening statements from the uh, the two uh, ranking members there, uh, then it went to the opening statements uh, from uh, Mr. Kent and from Ambassador Taylor, uh, which were quite lengthy, uh, much longer than I thought they would allow them to go. But they uh, both had a lot to say. Uh, they both spent significant time uh, laying out their qualifications and their commitment to duty. Uh, as career diplomats, as ambassadors, as part of the diplomatic corps, uh, really trying to to burnish their credibility as having the best interest of the nation, uh, because obviously they know they're going to come under attack uh, as this starts to go uh, back and forth a little bit. Uh, so they both laid that out. They both laid out a lot of the uh, the facts as they saw them. Uh, no real bombshells, as I said, in any of uh, their statements in terms of what happened or didn't happen or how. There was clearly a discomfort within the diplomatic corps in terms of the way President Trump does business. And uh, in fact, in one of the uh, statements, Ambassador Taylor uh, mentioned to one of his colleagues that, hey, this is how he does business. He's a business guy. So it's it's a little different. Uh, and so I know there have been some in the diplomatic corps who have been uh, just frustrated because he's not following the traditional protocols uh, of communication with with uh, foreign entities, uh, and that's fine. Uh, we've you've had different uh, presidents over the years that have used more and less of that. Uh, but the diplomats are the diplomats, and they have a, a critical role to play. Uh, and they do get very invested in their in the country where they serve and the people that they're interacting with. And even though there's uh, in some of those uh, there there may be challenges. Uh, there may be adversarial things going on, but there's a lot of alliance things that have to go on as well when you're playing that role of diplomat. Uh, so a lot of things happening early on. Right now, we are currently uh, the Republican Council uh, staff council is questioning the two witnesses right now. The Democrats have had their 45 minute swing. Uh, then once this concludes, then they will go to the rapid fire round where you'll see members of Congress. So let's go ahead and step aside. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do a little debrief. And then I want you to start looking for some things a little differently as it relates to these hearings and what we ought to be doing right here in Utah. Stay with us. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. You're listening to Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Inside. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Sources. Welcome back, everyone. This is Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you today. Uh, we've been breaking down the uh, public hearings that are taking place in Washington, D.C. today. They continue to uh, roll on. They started about 8 o'clock local time here uh, today, and uh, nothing real significant so far. You've got uh, the staff attorneys, and this was a really interesting. This is a change from uh, previous hearings where you would actually allow a staff member uh, their chief counsel uh, to do the questioning, uh, which shows me that Adam Schiff did not have a lot of confidence in his Democratic colleagues to frame this hearing in the right way. And and rightly so. We've seen it in other hearings where both sides have just been a complete disaster as members took turns in their five-minute increments, which will come up later today, by the way. Uh, that will happen, but they set the standard that each side would have their staff attorney do a line of questioning for a 45-minute session. So, again, not uh, that is not normal. That is not how this uh, usually goes down, that uh, you see some, a staff member, staff counsel uh, for the committee sitting in the chair where you would normally see a member of Congress asking the question. And, and again, I think that speaks very loudly <laughs> to the discipline of our elected officials. Uh, the vast majority of our elected officials are attorneys. They know how to ask questions. They know how to get information out of a witness, but they can't resist the urge in their five allotted minutes to try to get some sort of social media moment that they can use on their social media feed. They can use to raise funds to show that they're fighting for the right side. Uh, so, again, interesting that that's happening. So right now you've got the uh, Republican counsel, uh, chief counsel, asking questions of uh, the ambassador and uh, Mr. Kent. So uh, that's going on. I believe after this they'll have a short recess, and then they'll come back, and then they will go into those five-minute rounds where they will alternate Republican and Democrat member of Congress having five minutes. And, again, my anticipation for that part of the day today is really low I think it will be high drama, high theatrics, and very low yield in terms of getting to the truth, which is what this really should be about, uh, but is less and less becoming about. And so that's going to be the real challenge. So let's talk for just a, a minute in terms of what I think people should be watching for. I think uh, we all need to step back just a little bit today. Uh, don't just read the banner headlines on whatever uh, cable news station you're watching. Don't just take at face value what you read in your social media feed or on your favorite news website. Uh, this is a time when we really do have to challenge the facts, challenge our own assumption, and our own thinking, and just think a little different. Uh, the other thing that I think is very important for everyone to recognize today, I wrote about this uh, in my DeseretNews.com column today, uh, and that is a lot of this is fake fights and false choices. And there are a host of issues at play right now in our country uh, that are really critical. Impeachment, obviously, is one of them. 
Uh, we also need to remember that on the 21st of November, the government runs out of money and the government will shut down. And that has to be dealt with. And so you're going to see a couple of days of hearings now and then they'll take a few breaks, try to deal with that. Uh, and they've really kind of baked it all out was the case that I made in my column today is that, look, this is this is fake fights and false choices. They'll get to next week. Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer have already made a deal with Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy, and they're each going to have their fight and they're going to have their staged moments. And, and then they're all going to say, well, for the good of the country, we're going to pass a continuing resolution. And a continuing resolution just keeps the government spending at the same rate it's currently spending. So it just keeps everything going. Uh, I mean, it's like saying, honey, we're, we're completely out of money, but I think we should take a vote that we should just continue to spend the way we're spending, even though we're massively in debt. Let's just, let's just keep going at current standard. And that's what happens. And so this is what you're going to see over the next week. You will see a continuing resolution passed probably next week, 11th hour. They'll pass that. And my guess is they will pass a continuing resolution that will take spending until the week of the 16th of December. So about a month out. Amazingly, my guess is that the impeachment hearings will go until that same week of December 16th. And then the Judiciary Committee in the House will uh, put forward articles of impeachment that will go to the floor of the House. And so the week of the 16th of December, uh, put your holiday shopping on ice. Uh, it will be time once again to, to go to the screens and we will watch more drama play out as we face another government shutdown and we face a vote on articles of impeachment. And I think that's how it's really going to play out. So part of that is we got to learn to just step back and just realize this is a process. A lot of this has already been cooked and baked by both political parties, because they're raising massive amounts of money off of this. And they're already positioning how they're going to use this uh, for the uh, 2020 election cycle. And and while that's all very cynical and crass, uh, that's what's happening in Washington right now. And it's one of the reasons why we, we need to have a few more of these uh, we the people moments where we can complain about what they're doing in Washington, but we keep sending the same people back. Almost every election cycle, it's over 90% of incumbents win re-election. So that means we, the people, either don't care, aren't interested, uh, or just aren't willing to do the hard work and heavy lifting to say, hey, we can do better. And that's what we've got to get to. And there's a number of ways that we really can do better. We just got to be more committed to be better. I was very pleased today to see a... Uh, a statement come out from Mayor Jenny Wilson, uh, also urging President Trump to continue sending refugees to Salt Lake City. We know that uh, Utah's Governor Gary Herbert sent a letter to the president uh, saying, hey, we'll we'll take more refugees here in Utah. We we recognize that they are an important part of who we are and what we can become as a nation and as a state. And uh, Mayor Jenny Wilson also urging President Trump to do the same. Uh, she said, in part, as mayor of Salt Lake City, I want to express our strong desire to continue as a partner in the resettlement of refugees to our great nation and our welcoming community. We are eager, we are equipped, and we are committed. Again, that's from uh, Mayor Jenny Wilson urging President Trump, uh, along with Governor Herbert, uh, to send more refugees here, not less, uh, because there is a, an opportunity there. Uh, and that's what I think is one of the great differences in, in our state. 
the people of the state of Utah recognize that refugees or immigrants are, are not liabilities to be managed. We recognize them for their human potential, their ability to give back and contribute to local communities. We're one of the most upwardly mobile places on the planet here in Utah because we have a great free market economy and we have strong institutions of civil society with religious groups and faith groups and business groups all coming together uh, for the betterment of people. So much more to discuss there uh, as it relates to uh, refugees. We'll continue to follow and track that. All right, we're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we're going to talk about the fact that everyone deserves a good manager. Don't go anywhere. This is Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. We'll be right back. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back, everyone. We've got a lot of ground to cover here on our 60 Minutes from 11 to noon on Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you today. And we're going to shift gears. Uh, we're going to shift away from Washington and uh, many of the bad examples of leadership and management. And uh, we're going to shift to the positive side of that. Uh, very excited to have Scott Miller join us from Franklin Covey. Uh, he is one of the co-authors of a new book called Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, The Six Critical Practices for leading a team. Scott, thanks for joining us today. Boyd, my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. All right. Well, uh, you I know you are racing around the country uh, trying to help organizations uh, have a little bit better leadership structure. Uh, one of the things that really struck me in terms of your focus for this book is that you, you recognize that for so many who go from being a producer, a frontline worker, and then they move into a, a management role, and it usually takes about a decade before they get any kind of real leadership training. That's right. I mean, the research from the Harvard Business Review shows that on average, we tend to be promoted into our first management role around the age of 30. But the stats show that we receive our first really formal training in that role at the age of 42. So there's actually 12 years where most of us are kind of making it up, wandering in the desert, because oftentimes, boy, we were promoted because we were the best at our previous job, and therefore we're promoted over our peers, and most of us think our job is to turn them into our clones. No, that's not true, because you are the best salesperson does not make you the best sales leader. In fact, the competencies are often the opposite. Right, And so we have to really think that our job is no longer to achieve results on our own. Our new job is to achieve results with and through other people. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And one of the things that I love in your work, Scott, is you're, you're really bringing this forward a notch. And I, I had a great interview with uh, presidential historian, uh, historian Doris Kearns Goodwin uh, last week, and she was talking about leading through turbulent times. And you address that in a really interesting way. One of the critical practices that you talk about in your book is leading your team through change and through challenge. And the thing that's so striking to me is here we are in this unprecedented period of change and upheaval in so many industries. And we have so many people trying to lead through that change who've never led before or don't know how to lead. So so what do we do? How do people actually lead through the, the challenge and the change? step is to recognize that change is very emotional. I mean, I love this adage. I love change when it's my idea, but when it's your idea, you're right, I mean, I'll resist it or I'll wait it out or I'll, you know, bring it to its knees. So I think the first thing is to recognize that change is 
the new normal, right? It's a big cliche. Right. Change is constant. It's ever, ever vescent. You know, change or die. So when you recognize that change is going to be not just foisted on you, but a necessity to thrive in whatever marketplace you're in, you begin to be a little bit more nimble, reflexive, and adaptive to it. And you also recognize that change is emotional, especially if you're a leader of people. People are going to have very different emotional responses to change, whether it be a merger, an acquisition, a divestiture, some job loss, new responsibilities, a change in processes. When leaders recognize that the further you are away from the C-suite, the front line, the less context you have for the dozens and hundreds of hours that were spent upstairs designing the strategy. So your job is to also make sure people understand the why behind the what. Why are we doing this? What is the purpose? What is the impact? And then listen to them. When you give some space as, for, as a leader to acknowledge and validate your people's emotions, they generally will feel heard mm-hmm. and will come around when they have a chance to ask some questions and kind of struggle with it. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean to accommodate five months of you know emotions, right? And there's a <laughs> exactly. fine balance between accommodating your team and also saying, hey, the bus is leaving the station. Um, let's talk about your emotions and your concerns, and let's figure out how to get you on board. Yeah, let's get on that bus. Absolutely. So good. If you're just joining us, we've got Scott Miller from Franklin Covey on the line with us. A new book, Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. Uh, and I want to hit just in our last couple of minutes here, uh, Scott, and I'm going to have you come back because we're going to do a deep dive as, as a uh, – management geek. Uh, We're going to do this full treatment. Uh, But for today, I want to finish off on uh, this culture of feedback. You talked about the distance between the C-suite and those that are actually executing and delivering. Uh, You talk about creating that kind of communication, that kind of culture of feedback. Why Why is that so critical for leaders today? Well, I'd argue that one of the key roles that any leader is responsible for is giving feedback to your team. Everybody has blind spots. Everybody needs to increase their self-awareness. And oftentimes it requires you to move outside of your comfort zone, right? Not every leader is prepared to have high-courage conversations, but that is a gift you give to your people, both in reinforcing feedback, what they're doing well, what they're doing right, and redirecting feedback. What do you want to see differently from them? So it's vital that every leader summon the courage to move outside their comfort zone and discuss the undiscussable. That is something you can do for your people that perhaps the other less mature leaders before you have never done for them, which is why they're repeating, you know, potentially negative behaviors. Same mistakes. But the yeah. opposite void is true. Your job isn't just to give your team feedback. It's to be vulnerable enough mm. to accept, solicit, request, crave feedback from your members. You, know, you have to make it safe for them to tell you their truth. So any great leader also has to create an environment of trust where it's okay to share with the boss how their leadership style is helping or hurting. Mm. It goes both ways. It isn't just giving feedback. It's also being mature enough to make it safe for people to share what it's like to work with you, what it's like to be led by you. That's a great leader. People don't quit their jobs. They quit their leaders. They quit their culture. And when someone knows that a leader has their best interest at heart, and they also can share what it's like to be led by you. This is what I need from you. That's a great combination. That is a winning culture. Oh, that's fantastic, Scott. That Those are such key things. If, if we could just install a few of these in Washington, high courage conversations, recognizing that most people do not quit the company. They quit the leader. They quit the culture. 
Uh, those are all just vital. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, the uh, the book is Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. And, uh, Scott, we'll have you back and drill down. This is uh, great stuff that's timely for the business world, for our politicians and leaders. Uh, it's really critical in our homes as well. So thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Again, that's uh, Scott Miller from Franklin Covey. A great book there. Definitely worth a read. We're going to go ahead and step aside. When we come back, the Lieutenant Governor, Spencer Cox, will join us live right here on KSL News Radio. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone. Final segment of Inside Sources. Today, I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Thanks for being with us. Uh, we are going wall to wall with everything from impeachment to everyone deserves. Everyone deserves a good manager uh, to some more leadership conversations on uh, World Kindness Day. And very pleased to be joined live on the line uh, doing some of that world kindness by our Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. Spencer, thanks for joining us. Boyd, it's always good to be with you. Thank you so much. Uh, well, so uh, I know you are on your way currently to the uh, Geraldine King Women's Resource Center uh, here today. Tell us what you're going to be doing there. That's correct. Well, this is something that Abby put together, my wife. Today is World Kindness Day, and we're heading over there to uh, to help support the Women's Resource Center. And uh, we did something a little unique this week. Instead of taking campaign donations, uh, we, we solicited help for, for funding for the food that they need, um, the packages that they need, and uh, our volunteers really stepped up and donated more than $1,000. We're going over there to serve lunch today and to put some of these kits together for them. And it's just a, a great reminder of what makes Utah special. We leave the nation in charitable giving and we lead the nation in volunteerism every year and uh, and and we love the support we have here in the state you know we were talking earlier in the program just about uh, utah's unique space uh, whether it's uh, dealing with refugees or immigrants or those that are are struggling it's utah's still the most upwardly mobile place on the planet where someone born in poverty or someone who comes here in poverty has a better chance of getting out than anywhere else uh, as you look at this and as you look at a, a run for the governorship, uh, what is it about Utah that you're hoping we can continue? And then what do you hope we can export to the rest of the country? Well, th- that's, a, that's a great question and, and really an easy one to answer. I mean, the things that we need to export to the, the country is that, that very sense of community that still matters here. The reason behind upward mobility, and you know this as well as anyone, I mean, the research out of Harvard and other organizations is clear, is because we have these tight-knit communities where we take care of each other, we look out for each other. It's not because we have the best government programs in the country. It really is because we have these other institutions that have historically uh, really Really stepped up. So volunteer organizations, faith-based organizations, community organizations doing their best. So that, that's the first piece that we need to export. But the second piece is we look forward to what's most important for the state moving forward. I, I really believe and I will always believe that we have to invest in infrastructure and the most important infrastructure investment we can make is education. Uh, we have to do better. As I traveled around the state and talked to teachers, we've really taken the joy of learning out of the classroom and we taken the joy out of out of teaching we we've gone far too far the the other way in emphasizing testing and uh, grading of schools and all of these things that is doing nothing to make our kids any smarter we need to return that local control um, give the teachers the resources they need and and yes that that means uh, additional compensation to make sure that our best and brightest are becoming teachers we have a teacher shortage in our state that we don't talk about enough I'm concerned about it but we do that and the rest of these issues will take care of themselves. 
Mm, that's uh, that's great insight. Uh, I want to drill down on a, on a couple of things. We've we've been on this leadership uh, uh, focus here this week, and uh, of course we had Doris Kearns Goodwin in over the weekend. We're going to play my interview with her tomorrow, uh, and she she made one really interesting comment. She says, "You know, as, as bad as things may seem, uh, history helps us remember that it's been a lot worse." You know, she talked about Lincoln coming into office, you know, facing a deeply, deeply divided nation, ready to go to war. Uh, you know, people coming into to power during uh, the Depression and so on. Uh, as you look at, at leadership and as as you look at uh, your campaign and possibly stepping into a state that's functioning well, what is it, though, that worries you in terms of the future? Uh, that what, What's going to keep you up at night uh, if you end up uh, in the governor's mansion? Well, Boyd, by the way, I, can I put in a plug? Everyone should listen to your podcast with Doris Kearns Goodwin. Um, it was incredible. She's, she's one of my heroes. I, everyone should read what she's written. I, I think the, uh, the, the, the team of rivals, I, yeah. I mean, the, the Lincoln biography, it's, it's my favorite book ever. Uh, just, just incredible. But um, to, to that point, what, what worries me and concerns me about Utah is, is really that we're not far behind the rest of the nation in some of those problems and, and ills mm. that, that she referred to. Look, we, we are at least on a partisan scale the most di- divided we've been since the Civil War. Obviously, it was much worse, and that's why it's important to study history. Um, but Utah, while we're not there, we're seeing pieces of that. We saw, you know, the, the negative campaigning that we saw in the fourth district race that, that I, I know was troubling to so many, two very yeah. wonderful people that care deeply about. We, we, we're seeing the, the, the decay in, in that, in the way we talk to each other, the way we, we work on problems together. We're not there yet, but it, it's heading that direction. Um, and, and this social piece, this social fabric, I, I, a book I talk about a lot, um, somebody who, who I know you know, Senator Ben Sass, his book, mm. Them, uh, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal, talks about the, the, the lack of community or the decay of community. When we lose those organizations that have historically brought us together, we're left to, uh, to you know, we, to, to find our tribes. We hate the same people on Facebook. That's the, the only way we seem to, to be able to come together in, in right. the tribe, which is, which is devastating. And what that means for, for those who don't have social capital in the communities, that those who are living in poverty, if they don't have that, that relationship and that connection to, uh, to, to social capital, um, the rest of our country, the rest of our state is going to struggle immensely. Yeah. We've got just a couple minutes left. If you're just joining us, we have Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox on the line. Uh, he is out on World Kindness Day, heading to the uh, Geraldine King Women's Resource Center. Uh, great project there. Uh, I want to ask you, as I, as I often ask candidates for high office, uh, what is it that's going to make all of this travel, all of the headache, uh, all the competition you're going to have to go against, what's going to make all of that worth it, even if you get all the way to next year and you don't win? Well, this is a, this is a question we've we've asked ourselves many times, Boyd, and, and, and you and I have had conversations about this. Look, if I if I if I become the next governor of the state of Utah, I will be the happiest man on on earth, and uh, and if I lose, I'll I'll be even happier, and, and that's that's important because it means we have real life, and and the journey has to be worth it, and it already has. We have visited now about two hundred cities. Um, in the state of Utah, I think we're officially at 198 out of 248. And just being out there with 
people, that's what fuels us. Seeing the great things that are happening, I don't, I don't have to be the, the next governor um, to, uh, to have that, that, uh, that, mm-hmm. that confirmation or that reward. Now, I hope I get the opportunity to be the next governor because we have amazing things to accomplish over the, uh, over the next four years, and I'm so excited about that. But if you're doing this, if you're running for governor for personal reasons or for the, you know, the glory or to have your name in the history books, that, that it's, it's not worth it. It's, that, that doesn't carry you. What carries us is this opportunity we've had. We've done over 45 service projects now in the state. Just seeing the goodness of the people of Utah fuels us, and that, that in and of itself has made it worth it. Okay, fantastic. Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, uh, thanks for joining us from the road, on the road, on uh, World Kindness Day. Again, heading to uh, Geraldine King uh, Women's Resource Center. Uh, great project there. Appreciate your efforts. And uh, 198 uh, cities already. We'll have to do a uh, check-in when you hit uh, 200. We, we will, Boyd. And I, again, we, we can still use some donations for the Women's Center. If you go to votecox.com, you can donate. And, and, and just remember to be, be kind today and always. Thank you, Boyd. Fantastic. And uh, I think that's probably the first time I've ever heard a, a political campaign address given to make a donation uh, to a good cause. So uh, well done there, uh, Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. All right. Uh, all of that uh, right here on a uh, Wednesday. And uh, just as a reminder, we t- mentioned this earlier in the program that, that tomorrow uh, we will air during this hour, the 11 to 12 o'clock hour tomorrow, we will air my exclusive interview with presidential historian Doris Kearns Goodwin. Uh, she has been writing about uh, the presidency of the United States, and uh, we had a deep dive conversation about leading in turbulent times, uh, which we clearly are in as a country right now. And she shares many of the the qualities that made uh, some of the great leaders, the, the Lincolns and the Roosevelts, uh, such extraordinary leaders for their times and what we ought to be looking for in our political leaders today. Uh, and she did uh, mention that you know, we, we've been in tough times before. And so that should give us hope that, uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was Winston Churchill who famously said that you can always count on the American people to do the right thing after they have exhausted every other possibility. <laughs> that may be a little backhanded compliment, but to me, the important thing is that we do the right thing. It might take us a little while and we've got some turbulent times ahead with impeachment proceedings and government shutdowns looming, Uh, But we will get there. Why? Because of the people, because of neighborhoods, because of communities. Uh, That's what makes this state extraordinary. It makes it the best laboratory of democracy in these United States of America. And uh, that's what we're going to continue to focus on. You're listening to Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, the opinion editor at the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us on a Wednesday. Stay with us here on KSL News Radio for all the up-to-minute news. And as always, as you go out into the world today, see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.